Thank you, Lila. You played that just right. It was uh, just the right pace for us to, to sing that and to be able to think about it tonight. I'm sorry, my voice was... Uh, I felt... Do you remember Paul McCartney, the frog chorus? <laughs> I was thinking, is that what we're all like tonight? We're a little bit croaky, aren't we? Uh, we're going to look tonight at uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And... Uh, This is probably one of the greatest passages in the whole book of Ephesians, which is reckoned to be one of the uh, most loved of all the epistles. I think John Calvin said it was his favourite epistle, and and, uh, one of the other reformers said, uh, I think it was John Knox who said that on his deathbed he wanted Ephesians read to him. So... (coughs) Let's read verse 14 through to 21. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just pray, please help me to be able to preach this tonight and bless this to our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw a little cartoon that made me smile recently. It was about a poor, very weathered-looking uh, lady who uh, said to her friend, you know, I tried to take it one day at a time, but just recently several days have attacked me all at once. <laughs> and uh, there's times when we feel a bit like that, don't we? We feel like we've uh, been uh, by, mugged by circumstances. And what is the answer to such uh, a challenge in life? Well, the best answer I know of is prayer. And uh, I think Paul was recommending this to the church at Ephesus because they were in a tough situation uh, at a tough time. If you look in the back of your Bible sometime at those maps, uh, you'll see Turkey is where uh, Asia Minor was in, in Bible days and Ephesus was in Asia Minor. And it was the headquarters of a cult called Diana or Artemis and the worship of occultic uh, forms of pagan religion. And in the book of Acts, we see what a challenge they had and what a challenge Paul had even when he was there to preach the gospel. The great riot that happened and the the great gathering in the amphitheater uh, to call for, well, really calling for his head, I think, um, uh, when they were shouting out, great is Artemis, of the Ephesians. It reminds me of those Muslim mobs uh, in, the, in the streets of London and places around the world when there was the uh, uh, cartoons in, in France that caused the, the problems. Well, 
it was a challenging place to be a Christian. And so Paul was writing this book, especially to strengthen them in the difficult situation they were in, to walk with the Lord, to be able to stand firm in their faith. And a key uh, part of that was going to be their prayer life. And uh, it is true for each one of us in, in Christianity that prayer is the vital link in our prayer life. Robert Murray Machane said, what a man is in his prayer closet, that is what he is. And I think that's true. And prayer has the power to change things. The missionary Paget Wilkes, who went to Japan, and I'm a great fan of his books, Paget Wilkes wrote home from Japan in 1911 and said, there is a terrible sense of the presence of the evil one here and nothing but prayer can conquer. And that's how and why prayer is so important uh, in the Christian life. And so Paul wrote to them uh, this little passage at the very heart of this book dealing with prayer and it was really modelled on his own prayer for them. And I want us to look at this tonight, that we may learn uh, about prayer and how to live uh, in prayer, a prayerful Christian life to the glory of God. And there's four things we see here. We see the procedure for prayer, the priorities for prayer, the potential of prayer, and the purpose of prayer. And I think these things in this passage are, are really encouraging and helpful. First of all, then, we see the procedure of prayer in verses 14 through to 15. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, how do we pray? You know, that's a question, isn't it? The disciples asked the Lord Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. How, how do we actually do it? How do we go about it? And the, both the Lord Jesus and John the Baptist taught their disciples how to pray. And Paul showed by his example uh, two things here about the procedure for prayer, which are very helpful. And he spoke about kneeling and knowing. Those are the things that stand out in verses 14 and 15. He says, for this reason, uh, in verse 14, which is uh, the reason he started off with at the beginning of chapter 3. And if you go back to chapter 3, uh, verse 1, sorry, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, and you think, well, what reason was that then? You've gone back twice now. Well, the reason was all the things he told about the church and about salvation and in chapter 2. And chapter 1 and 2 led him to pray for the church because he saw what great things God had done. But he says here in chapter 3, 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and Paul uh, knelt when he was in prayer. Now, I don't think, excuse me, I'm going to cough quite heavily. I don't think there's a command here for us to say we've got to kneel. And uh, that's something which, of course, is dependent on our physical health anyway. Uh, my sister suffers from rheumatoid arthritis and she doesn't find kneeling or certain body positions very easy at all. I wouldn't want to give anybody any guilt complex because they're not able to kneel. But I think one thing we can learn from Paul with his, his attitude, what he says here, I bow my knees to the Father, is the attitude that goes with kneeling. And that is humbling yourself and, and being reverent and uh, prostrating yourself in your heart 
before the great God of heaven. That's how we come to God. We come to God, um, whether physically, but physically and spiritually, in a kneeling way. Uh, some years ago, I came across a Christian magazine that had in it an interview with a man who was then 105 years old. He was, his name was Mr. Otis Clark, and he was one of the early Christians in Pentecostalism, going way back. He was discipled by one of the people from the Azusa Street Mission, which was one of the early days of uh, North American Pentecostalism. And although I wouldn't agree with everything uh, in that movement, I have a lot of respect for their spirituality. And uh, this man was 105. He died at 109 years old in 2012. And I was amazed to read this interview about him. He had a very joyful face and a, a walk with the Lord that was amazing. And they were interviewing him in the magazine about this. And he said, the first and most important thing is to spend time every day with your divine creator. I believe in humbling myself before God by lying prostrate on the floor or kneeling to pray. He said, you'll be refreshed in his presence. I thought that's pretty incredible, isn't it? 105, he still humbles himself like that before God every day as he was able. I think there's just something in that if we're able to do it, uh, that the way we come to God is an attitude of heart. He said, another thing I do is I fast and pray. I also spend time meditating on God's word every day, what we would call having our quiet time. So Paul says there, that's how he comes. He comes kneeling to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he comes also knowing. He knows who he's praying to. Notice, he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, there's many pictures of the church in the book of Ephesians. Uh, she's called the temple of God, which is filled with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 6, uh, the church is likened to an army. Uh, and in uh, chapter 4, it's likened to a body and so on. So there's many pictures of the church. But here's, here's a very touching one. The church is like a family. The whole family in heaven and earth. And the church, the Christians who've died and gone to glory, they're still part of the family. Perhaps more so even <laughs> in one way than we are. They're, they're up there. And uh, we're down here. But we're all one family with the Lord. And our, our God is the father of this family, that which the whole church is named after. And Paul said, I pray to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course this is what the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to do, wasn't it? To pray our Father who is in heaven and we come to our Father. And Paul was very clear who he was praying to. He wasn't praying to a distant deity. He was praying to one who was his Father. He knew him as his heavenly Father in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you can say that tonight, that he is your Father. I hope and pray you can and if you can't yet then I hope you'll put your trust in Jesus our saviour so you will come into that relationship with God through him come to the father through Jesus the son said the hymn writer but he's very clear he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ not to be confused with other gods this is a question a lot of young Christians ask pastors you know is Allah the same as the God of the Bible do we worship the same God as Muslims the answer to that is a definite no 
It's a definite no. Allah is not the God of the Bible. And it's not only Christians who know that difference. Muslims know that difference too. They they wouldn't want to be associated with the God we worship. Uh, We worship a triune God. They don't. Uh, And we mustn't say, oh, they're all the same. It doesn't matter which one you worship. No, we don't worship Allah. And Allah isn't just another name for the God uh, of the Bible. Neither does Paul say he worships Jehovah God like the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses never call God Father until they're saved. And I've got testimonies of those who, one of the first things that they realized, something had happened in them after turning to the Lord Jesus, was they started praying instinctively, Father, Abba Father. It's what the Spirit cries out uh, inside. And uh, neither do we pray to the big G hanging from the ceiling like the Freemasons do. No, we pray to the Father. So this is the procedure. Uh, We come kneeling, we come knowing humbly before God to the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So that's a simple thing he gives us on the introduction there. But then we come to the priorities for prayer. Years ago, Selwyn Hughes wrote this in some of his daily notes. He said, when I was a pastor, I learned the best way to discover the concerns of a fellow Christian is to listen to them pray. We all pray about those things that matter most to us. And I think that's true, isn't it? You know, if you want to know what really matters to someone, listen to them pray in the prayer meeting or listen to them when you have private prayer. Well, here we listen to what Paul prayed for. And in verses 16 to 19, he shows us his priorities in prayer. In fact, in verse 16, he, he says that he, he prayed that he, that God would grant you Ephesians and Christians according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He was praying for the Holy Spirit to give them power and help. Now he was praying this for them to be strengthened with might in the inner man, which is, always reminds me of Samson. Samson was a very ordinary man we read about in the book of Judges. A lot of people think Samson was a big wrestler. You know, he had big bulging biceps. If that was the case, Delilah would never have said to him, tell me, what is the secret of your strength? She would have known. I go down to the gym and I'm working out all the time. No, he was a very ordinary man. But when the Spirit of God came on him, there was a power there. And he had a power he didn't have before. And uh, this is what Paul was praying for, for the, for the believers in Ephesus, praying they'd be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And he wanted the Holy Spirit to come and fill them so that three things could happen. First of all, so they could receive Christ, receive Christ. Have a look in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, I think he's writing here uh, with the mind that there could be some in this congregation who are not yet believers. 
Um, and it's interesting both in a lot of the epistles, like Epistle of Hebrews, for instance, often writes uh, passages, and you think, is he writing to Christians or non-Christians? And uh, I think Paul knew, and all the, the writers of the New Testament knew, that the church is, is made up of, of Christians, but among our congregation there are often unbelievers with us as well. Like Judas was with the twelve disciples, and uh, the wheat and the tares grow side by side. And we have children growing up in our church congregations from Christian families. He, he knew that there needs to be things in there for them. Well, he prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen them so that the Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That they may become believers uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they may know Christ in them, as he says in the book of Colossians. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And this is one of the wonderful things when you become a Christian. Christ comes and lives in your heart. So it's a wonderful thing. John 17, the Lord Jesus prayed to his father in John 17, 23. And he used the phrase, he said, about I in them and you and me, father. That's a lovely thing. He's going to be in us. John 14, 23 said, the father and I will come and make our home in them. And uh, there's many other scriptures which talk about the Lord coming into our hearts and this is what Paul prayed for by the power of the spirit that they would be able to receive Christ you see a soul is dead in sin until the power of the spirit comes and you know we're often uh, praying for people to be saved one of the things we would pray is that the Holy Spirit would would work in them so they're able to call out to the Lord receive Christ as their saviour and lord it's a bit like the dead body of Lazarus in the tomb. Lazarus was in the tomb, and you can talk all day to a dead man. He's not going to do anything. But when the Lord Jesus came along and said, Lazarus, come out, the power of God came in Lazarus so he could obey the command and come out. And that's what we've got to pray. Uh, we need to pray that our, our unsaved children and our, our unsaved friends, that by the power of the Spirit in the inner man, that they may be able to receive Christ through faith. Now, they'll never understand that until after they're saved. But uh, that will be their experience. You know, I, I, when I was at Cornhill, where I did my training, we had a, an Indian man uh, who used to come and do the occasional lecture. And I say lecture in a very loose sense, because he was very unorthodox very lively little Hindu man who'd been a Hindu and uh, his name was Vijay Menon and uh, he, he used to talk in a very high voice and, he, and you say, hello, who are you? You say, Vijay! You know, that's how he used to talk. <coughs> and if he caught you in the lift, uh, you were, uh, were going to be quizzed about your prayer life, your Bible reading and everything and he was going to be laying hands on you and, and praying for you and blessing you. And, uh, he was a really spiritual man, a good man. But uh, he, he was a converted Hindu and he got converted at... Uh, excuse me, I'm going to cough again. <coughs> excuse me. At St. Helen's Church in, in London. And... Um, what happened was, in St. Helen's Church, they used to have a Tuesday lunchtime meeting, for, which was a gospel service that lasted about 40, uh, 
20 minutes and then there'd be 10 minutes for sandwiches afterwards and it was for all the men who worked or the people who worked in the city especially at Lloyd's of London which was the big insurance company just opposite and uh, Dick Lucas would preach a short gospel message and there'd be free sandwiches really nice ones you know better than Marks and Spencers and uh, and and VJ saw all these people going in he worked at Lloyd's he saw all these people going in this church and he was a Hindu, and he just thought, out of curiosity, I'm going to go in and just see what's going on. 20 minutes later, he walked out a born-again Christian. He gave his life to the Lord. And he was so struck by this uh, for a long time. He said, do you know, this is just amazing. My life was turned around by the message of the Lord Jesus like that. He said, how is it I walked in a devout Hindu and walked out a born-again Christian? How? And he said, someone must have been praying for me. And he sought to find out who this person was. And for a long time he didn't know. But there had been a lady who'd been praying for him. It was his landlady. Now his landlady was an elderly lady. And she was uh, a Christian. But she was a very meek Christian. She's she's more like me than she's like Amy. Okay, with her bright t-shirts and everything. With the gospel on. I mean, VJ would have known Amy if it was you. Okay. (laughs) But, uh, 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 But she was very shy. And she wanted to tell VJ about the Lord, but she thought, Lord, he, he was a, a very big businessman. You know, he's, he's a very clever man. I'm just a little old lady. I'm never going to be able to answer his questions. I can't tell him about the Lord. But she said, I'm going to pray for him. And she prayed for him every day, prayed for this Hindu man every day. And she was getting older and frailer. I think she prayed for him for seven years every single day. And towards the end of her life, um, she enlisted the help for a couple in her church who were strong prayer warriors. And she said, will you pray with me for Vijay Menon to be saved? And they didn't know who this man was at all. All they knew was he was a Hindu who lodged with this lady in the church. And they said, yes, we will. And they, they prayed. And after she died, they kept on praying for this man called Vijay Menon. They had no idea who he was until one day, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there used to be a Christian newspaper called the Challenge, Challenge newspaper. One day they got a copy of this Christian newspaper and they opened it up and there was a big smiling brown face in the middle and it was Vijay Menon, how I became a Christian from Hinduism. And they, that was the first thing they knew, that their prayers had been answered. And uh, they wrote to him and got in touch with him and he was so thrilled. Now I know how it was. I walked into that church and in 20 minutes I was saved from being a Hindu and became a born-again Christian with real living faith in Jesus Christ because there'd been this lady and this dear couple who'd been praying for me all these years. You know, Paul was praying. And dear friends, this is what you and I should be doing. Let's pray that people may receive Christ by faith. Pray as well. Uh, I can't remember which evangelist it was. He says, you know, the gospel, gospel work is like, uh, you know, giving the gospel is like having dynamite. But it's no good having dynamite without a detonator. And the detonator is prayer. You can lay all the dynamite you want, but if you don't have one of those things that Wiley Coyote pushes down, you know, nothing's going to happen. We need to pray. Pray for souls to be saved. And I'm just going to ask you again tonight, because I'm not afraid to keep preaching the gospel as I go along. Does Christ dwell in your heart?
Does Christ dwell in your heart? William Law said, a Christ not in us is a Christ not ours. If he doesn't reign in your heart as Saviour and Lord, ask him in tonight. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and I answers the door, uh, opens the door, I will come in. Open your heart to him, even while we're having this service. But he prayed that, prayed they'd be strengthened to receive Christ. That they'd be rooted in love. Let's have a look at verse 17. Again, the second part. He said that you being rooted and grounded in love. On to verse 19 in a moment. Now, the image here is of a tree. Okay, being rooted and grounded. Some of your Bibles may say established, which is more of a building term, but I think it's more to do with a a tree growing down and then growing up. And uh, he wants us, when we're saved, to have assurance of our salvation. You know, some people have a daisy petal mentality towards Christianity. You know, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And that's how they think about God. God loves me, God doesn't love me. Paul doesn't want us to have that attitude. He wants us to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. So when you're going through difficult times like the church at Ephesus, you're not thinking, oh, don't you love me? Yes, I know you love me. Therefore, if this has happened, it's because you have a plan and a purpose. He wants to be rooted, us to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And so that we, as he says here uh, in verse 18, may be able to comprehend, to think, to understand with all the saints. And I love this language, by the way, all the saints. It shows that he always saw the church as a group. There's no lone rangers in Christianity. It's one of the things we've got to pray for, is people would get saved and come into the body of Christ and be a part of the church, so that you may comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now, this is uh, one of the greatest passages. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this is one of the greatest uh, passages of doctrine anywhere in the whole of Scripture. And I think he's right. To be able to comprehend what is God's love for us. He gives these dimensions. And it's like the dimensions uh, of, uh, of, a, of Noah's Ark. Some people see it as the dimensions of the cross. It could be the dimensions, I suppose, of a tree. But think of it like this. He says, what is the width? Okay, this is the first width. So the love of God has a width to it, doesn't it? How wide is the love of God? I'll tell you how wide it is. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Are you a part of the world? Right. In that case, God's love reaches out to you. doesn't mean you're yet saved, but when you trust in the Lord, then uh, you, you will know it. But uh, you, the, there's a width to the love of God. But there's a length to the love of God too. What is the length of the love of God? The length of the love of God is eternity. When did God start loving you? I said, oh, it was on the 14th of November 2012 when I became a Christian. That wasn't. That wasn't. Do you know what he said to Jeremiah? In the book of Jeremiah, I think it's in chapter 30, verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, an eternal love. Before the world began, long before you had your eye on God, God had his eye on you. 
He loved you with an eternal love. That's the length of the love of God. What about the depth of the love of God in verse 18? The depth is his love comes right down to us, right down to where we are. Right when I was way down in the depths of sin and degradation, love lifted me. (laughs) You know, his love came right the way down. And the Lord Jesus at Christmas, at the birth, at the incarnation, came right down, didn't he, uh, uh, to earth to save us. That's the depth of the love of God. But what about the height? Paul's already written about this in Ephesians chapter 2. We're lifted up to the heavenly realms and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. The love of Christ will get you to heaven. And as far as God's concerned, you're seated with Christ even there with him now. So start praying that God would help uh, people to have the power to receive Christ and be rooted in his love, to, to know how great is his love. And of course, it's a love we can never fully know because it passes knowledge, but you begin to know it, to know the love which passes knowledge. It's, 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 uh, it's grasping at something so massive and so wonderful, isn't it? But may the power of the Spirit help us more and more to understand this. Uh, uh, for our good as well but also that they may be he says filled with all the fullness of God sorry I couldn't think of a third thing beginning with R to alliterate that but uh, this is what Paul says here at the end of verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God years ago there was a, a little book written by a man called Robert Munger and it was called My Heart Christ's Home. I wonder if anybody ever read that book or was familiar with it. And that little book pictured the Christian as a house. And when the Lord Jesus comes into our lives, he comes to live in the house. And he goes from room to room in the house. Uh, he goes to the living room, which represents our fellowship with others, doesn't it? It's in your living room, you entertain your guests. And when Christ comes into your life, You know, he starts to make us think about who we're having fellowship with and who we're having uh, uh, association with and the people. Are they good influences on us or not? You know, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked uh, and so on. You know, there's some people it's not good to be in company with. Bad company corrupts good character, warns 1 Corinthians 15. And we need to be on guard about that. It's not that we're not the friends of sinners like the Lord Jesus was, but uh, there's a difference between that and having fellowship with the wrong people. So when Christ comes into your life, he starts coming into the living room and sorting out the fellowship, who you're having fellowship with. He goes into the library. The library represents what you think about what you read, what you think about, your thoughts, and starts working in your thought life. He goes into the kitchen. The kitchen represents your appetites. You know, I don't just mean food here, but your your passions, what your, uh, what, what are, are, you know, passions is a word they used to use for lusts in the old days, you know, both good and bad, you know, and Christ starts sorting those out. And then there's a funny smell, coming from that closet and opens the closet and there's a few skeletons inside that closet you know some secret sins and things of the past that need dealing with 
And Christ goes in there and deals with those as well. This is what the Lord does when he comes into our lives. And uh, he comes and he, he possesses all of us. So that as Paul says, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. That was the basis of that little book. And uh, I think it fits well with this passage here. He wants us to, to, to pray for that. That the Lord may fill every part of our lives with all the fullness of God so that we belong totally to the Lord. You know, you've heard of the Salvation Army and you, you probably have heard of the man who was the lead worker to start that uh, with his wife, General William Booth. Someone interviewed General William Booth towards the end of his life and said, what do you think is the secret of your success? He said, all I can say is, God has all of me. God has all of me. And, you know, that's, that's what I want to be able to say too, don't you? You know, so that there's nothing that God doesn't fill. And I'm filled with all the fullness of God. Then we will be fully filled, fulfilled, when we're filled with all the fullness of God. So those are the priorities Paul prayed for. And these are good things for praying for for yourself and things to pray for for others. And then, thirdly, we come to the potential of prayer in verse 20. This is such a wonderful verse. This will bless you if nothing else has already. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You know, one of the... uh, reasons churches used to have bells or churches do some churches do have bells uh, I understand is not just of course to call people to worship as in the olden days but to be a physical lesson as well because a church with a bell tower has a bell that's very high up and a person down at the bottom pulling a rope who can't even see the bell that's hidden away up in the bell tower But when he pulls on that rope down below, something happens up there in the bell tower. It's a bit of a visual lesson by the the bell ringing, the campanology is the proper term, isn't it, Uh, uh, about prayer. When we come to the Lord in prayer, we're like pulling on the rope, we're, we're calling on God to do things, and there is huge potential. What happens up in the heavens when we pray, when we pull on the rope, the bell of prayer, as it were, rings in the highest heavens, and God hears our requests. And Paul says that God is Able. This is one of the able verses. There's a beautiful list of verses. Hebrews 7.25, Romans 16.25. I think it's um, Jude verse 24 and 25 as well. So they're all 25s, aren't they? But uh, they're uh, verses that say what God is able to do. Well, here God is able to do exceedingly abundantly uh, things with our prayers. And that phrase in Greek is a... Is a, is a double repetition, if you like. I mean, if he'd just say abundantly, that would have been enough. But he's doubling it up. It's saying the same thing twice, but with a, an extra power to it, exceedingly abundantly. He, he, he's, God is able to do way over everything that we uh, imagine. Everything above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. When we pray for people, God is able to go 
to work in a mighty way in prayer. And that ought to encourage us about the potential of prayer. When we're praying for these things to happen in people's lives and we're praying about other needs as well, let's not be afraid to ask God for the big things that we need uh, to bring to him. I thought I'd, I'd, uh, I've thought of an old children's talk actually as I was coming along here and uh, you may see this again in a few weeks' time. But you know, you know what all children are thinking about now we're at the end of November, don't you? They're, they're all thinking about how good their grades are going to be. And if you believe that, <laughs> they're thinking about Christmas, all right? It's getting there. And they're thinking about what they're going to get. Now, if you're a child, what do you want to hang out on Christmas Eve, all right? Do you want to hang out that? Or do you want to hang out that? Yeah? Or maybe you want to hang out that, you know? I want to tell you, when I was a kid, I wanted to hang out this. You get what I'm saying? You get the point, don't you? What you bring is what you're hoping will be filled. And that's like our prayers when we come to God. You know, do we, you know, we, we need to come to God uh, believing that he is able to do great and mighty things and trusting him. Now, we, we have a sovereign God a God who doesn't always answer our prayers exactly the way we want him to and the time that he wants us to. I was reminded on the way here of a little story about a, uh, a church that had a company had a, a company next door where they didn't work at the weekends and they desperately needed parking space, a bit like us here. And they got in touch with the, the manager and they said, look, is there any chance we can use your car park on Sundays? He said, no problem. He said, you can have it for 51 weeks of the year. And uh, they said, 51 weeks? They said, well, what happens on that other one week? He said, nothing. He said, but it's going to be chained off. And they said, well, why are you going to chain it off? He said, I just want you to remember that you don't own that car park. (laughs) He he wanted them to remember they were getting it as a favor. It was graciously lent to them. They didn't have it. And, you know, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers, I'm sure, because God just wants us to remind us, I'm not actually your servant. And when I answer prayers, it's graciously given to you. All right? So uh, sometimes prayers may not be answered as quickly as we want or exactly how we want because we're not to be little dictators to an almighty God. He is God. And uh, we come humbly before him, kneeling, as we said back at the beginning. But uh, we pray in faith of the power that he has. And uh, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. A.W. Pink said, most Christians expect little from God, ask little, and therefore receive little, and are content with little. I don't want to be like that. I pray God will keep us always praying for souls to be saved and people to be rooted and grounded in truth like that, filled with all the fullness of God. These are big prayers, but God is able to do them mightily. And then finally we see the purpose of prayer in verse 21. It says, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Forgive my little child joke, but uh, what did the triangle say to the circle? 
the triangle said to the circle, you're so pointless. You're allowed to groan. You don't have to laugh. But you know what? Some prayers are pointless in this respect. They don't come with the right purpose. The purpose of prayer is to bring God glory. And this is how Paul ends. It says, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. He, he, the purpose of all prayer and the purpose of all these things that Paul has been praying for is that God be glorified. Not that we get what we want, but that God be glorified. Even the Lord Jesus teaching us at the end of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, emphasizes that, doesn't it? His glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever is it's an eternal thing. And we need to remember our lives and our prayers are to be offered to the glory of God. William Burns was one of the early missionaries to China. And it was back in the days when uh, missionary work wasn't really heard of in the UK, sadly. And he had a burden to go to China and go out there and tell the people about the Lord Jesus. And when he was trying to raise support and, and interest among the church at home, somebody said to him smirkingly, I suppose you think you're going out there to convert the heathen. And he said, no. He said, I want to go out there to glorify God. That was his aim. I love that answer. He was bang on, bang on. My first aim is to go out to glorify God. That ought to be our first aim, to come to the Lord in prayer as well. To him be glory in the church. So in conclusion, uh, what we see here is, is a wonderful thing about prayer, especially for difficult days when they're mounting up on us and ganging up on us. Vance Havner said, The Christian faith is not a way to explain, enjoy or endure this world, but to overcome it. And prayer is the mightiest way to overcome. So may God make each one of us strong in prayer uh, as his people. And may we shine for him. To him be glory in the church forever.